Welcome to Restless. <laughs> Welcome back to Restless. I'm Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport and probably certifiably insane. Uh, you've joined Lauren and Diane and myself as together we restlessly seek the face of Christ in the midst of our crazy and mixed up world. But you know, a really cool thing happened this past weekend, which was the coronation of the King of England. Not something you see every day. Certainly not something we've seen in our lifetime was the coronation of anybody. Um, you know, maybe the king of Dubai or something, but not certainly not uh, somebody that speaks English and that we have some sort of a connection to, because a lot of people really love the royals and they love to watch that sort of thing. So did you guys watch any of that coronation? I watched about two minutes of it, and I watched maybe 30 seconds on the actual day when I was making coffee. Um, I had no idea that he actually wasn't crowned. <laughs> I, th- I thought that happened in whenever he became king. I know, yeah, like kind of assume it immediately after the death of the queen, but mm-hmm. apparently not. Yeah, watch some clips afterwards. And he was the king. He just wasn't crowned king. I don't know. It was kind of a unique situation. Procedural. I knew the coronation was coming up. A friend of mine recently was in England, and she commented how, you know, you could see that they were setting up and preparing for it. But I didn't know the coronation date, and I saw my family on Sunday, and my mom asked, oh, did you watch the coronation? I'm like, no, not at all. I <laughs> had no idea. I don't watch TV, I had really. stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, I had a full day living my life. So, no, I did not watch That's it. Fair. And I saw fair? maybe the 10-second highlight you know, videos on Instagram that'll scroll on your feed. Like that's about how much I saw. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Not, you know, I, I didn't watch any of it live. Um, I was watching some highlights later on and certainly reading about it. It's been very interesting because it's so different than us as Americans, right? We have a little swearing in ceremony, but it's certainly not every four years a big production like this was. So what's the pros and cons? Like, I mean, it, it was kind of an interesting thing to see because it's almost like a lost world. You know, what other king is still around that has so much regalia around him? I mean, uh, Diane sent us a really good article from Monsignor Pope kind of about how it is like a throwback to, to older times. What were some of the reflections he had? Yeah, I mean, I think he he really emphasized just that, uh, you know, reverence for elders um, and that, you know, kind of the, the beautiful, obviously, if you saw the church, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I think that we've lost a lot of that, you know, post-Vatican do, um, you know, after the 60s, everything was kind of just... Uh, made a little bit bland so it was uh you know he's pointing out that it was kind of nice to see the majesty and and the grandeur you know yeah um some other things that he said i'm just gonna kind of go through his bullet point list if that's okay of some of his observations um and he said that the window that, that i'm quoting here the window that opened on on the way we were is important um and it kind of points a picture of what we've lost and what we could regain through um you know edifying rituals and to him the things that stood out was the constant reference to god and our need to depend on him for everything he also said that is interesting of course i mean the king charles is the head of the church in england Mm -hmm. so he's kind of a religious leader in addition to being a spiritual leader almost like uh installation of a pope or something Mm -hmm. for them yep Yep, and still being very verbal about the fact that like we do depend on him for everything. Yeah, you know, whether or not people believe that or not, it, it's part of it was part of the ceremony. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and that uh, that a king or any leader must answer to God and seek to foster and protect the holy faith for God's people. Now that's that's an interesting point, and and, and I as an American, I want to hear your thoughts. Like we believe, we've always believed from from the get go that um, authority comes from the people, for the people, by the people, through the people, right? 
but this kind of almost seems like it really has nothing to do with the people whatsoever. It's directly ordained by God that this family is the ruling family. What do you think of it? I mean, wh- where does the authority come from? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, because there is no election process. No. He was, and I think if the election happened, he would not be king. <laughs> he's, he's not tremendously popular in England. Yeah. I'm, and then look at past leaders, right? I mean, I, well, you could say the same thing about the Catholic Church, though, with bad popes that we've had. Yeah. But yeah. But even I mean, interesting, I mean, bad popes are elected. Right. So it's not like, you know, you're. Bad some, presidents. Bad, yeah. <laughs> bad, plenty of bad presidents have <laughs> been elected. But, but the, I guess it's kind of like I just think of the Jewish people. You know, they were chosen, um, and and so God just chooses people to do certain things. You know, for certain missions. Well, what do you think about this? Like a monarchy, I think makes sense. Um, you know, as um, humanity was being formed and civilizations were growing, because people need to look to a leader, right? Um, so it makes sense that you would start with a monarchy, but as we've come to know God more, right? You know, through the prophets and through Jesus, we know Jesus is our king and how to serve God because Jesus taught us. Hmm. So do you really need a king anymore, right? Like, so you're saying that's almost, Jesus. Almost the, the whole reason why God had monarchies really from the beginning of time was to prepare the way for Jesus. Bingo. And that the, the people didn't know any other way at that time. Right, so True. it was fitting for the time. Is it still fitting today? Some of people would definitely say yes, and here's the reason why: because in a democracy, you get the kind of leaders that the people deserve. So unless a democracy is really founded on virtue, people are going to vote for the one who screams the loudest, the one who's the most vitriolic in the debates, the one who's, yeah. um, you know, frankly, a, a tabloid star, right? Right. And I guess you know you could say there is parliament and. Uh, I don't know the the English system very well, but I know they have a balanced government. Right? I, I mean, honestly, the 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 king doesn't have that much. Yeah, exactly. Authority It's the prime minister, you know. It's, right, exactly. It's just more symbolic. So it's tradition, and I think what Diane said about virtue um, is important. And um, like society needs strong leaders, and I I don't know that King Charles will be that, or but the fact that there's so much reverence and honor and respect given into how the coronation occurred, right? It, it shows that society is looking to this role. Um, That's very true. I mean, yeah. when, when I think of, you know, certainly, you know, when we were young, we had Pope John Paul II, who was a tremendous moral leader in the world. You know, we had the Queen of England. We mm-hmm. had people like Ronald Reagan, who I would consider probably the best president maybe of the last, you know, of the last century. And I don't know that we have those moral leaders in the world anymore. Yeah. I can't really think of any. You know? So I think, yeah, you're right. The heart cries out for something. So maybe that's why the coronation is important to at least try to remember what we want in good leadership. But back to your question, I mean, I I think that a lot. I mean, when you're talking about the fandom that exists around the British royal family, they're just people. (laughs) Right? But they are so adored. And, and you do say, why them? Why these people over everyone else? Yeah. I don't know. And yeah, that's, I and, mean, but I think that's an American mentality, right? Of like, well, they're actually just like us. They're totally equal. I don't know that 300 years ago in England, they would have said that about the king. Right. So the king is like, he's like chosen by God. He's the chosen one, you know? 
I we guess were, you, could, you could say the same about Hollywood. I mean, I think it's that's one of the things that I guess annoyed. You know, there are I think Monsignor Pope and we'll go through sort of the rest of his points here, but at some point. But um, one of the things that kind of like puts me off from royalty and just Hollywood in general is this like idolization of this you know certain person because they're born into this family or this Kardashians this anyone person because they did something that made them famous and you know we we bow down to sometimes we can you have to be careful right because you, you bow down to them or you worship them whether or not you you know you're physically doing something but i think uh you know it's at the end of the day like lauren said for me it's like we're all human beings we all have the same dignity so whether you're you know prince charles or right or king whatever what's his now. king charles <laughs> yeah um <laughs> or the poor person on the street you know it's to give someone so much attention and esteem just because they're you know the king of england versus someone you know yeah. like as long as we're treating people sort of or seeing people you know as being made in the image of god um i remember I, uh, yeah go ahead i'm sorry no. yeah no no that's the that's kind of what just puts me off from Hollywood and royalty in general. That's fair. That's fair. I remember, do you guys know who Dorothy Day is? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's this great story about Dorothy Day who worked, you know, with the homeless and her poor all her whole life. And she actually gained quite a bit of notoriety and fame in her own life. And, um, and that, and one time this reporter came to Dorothy Day and, um, she, and Dorothy was in the middle of talking with this homeless person. And, um, the reporter's kind of standing there waiting, waiting, waiting for the conversation to, to end. And finally, Dorothy turned to her, turned to the reporter and said, are you waiting to speak with one of us? Aww. And there's that humility of recognizing that maybe it wasn't about her. Yeah. Maybe the reporter was there to speak with a homeless person. Like mm-hmm. that was like seeing herself as totally equal in utter dignity. And I thought that was it's a cool story about humility. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think we all need to do a better job of living that out, you know? Yeah, I guess, I guess that comes to that was the first thought in my mind of like, OK, you know, this really annoys me. But then I also need to do a better job of not, you know, like uh, treating someone better, you know, just even at the workplace. Right. Of of treating someone better just because I get along with them or like their personality or whatever. You know, it's OK. No, we're all, um, you know, we're, we're made to love everyone, whether or not we like or, you know, have have the same opinions and all that stuff. Sure. So what else did uh, Monsignor Pope say about this coronation that, that kind of connects interestingly to our faith? Yeah, I thought his next point, he said, the modesty of conducting the anointing behind a screen showed the discretion of the past towards sacred things and is an antidote to the modern insistence that everything, even the most sacred, be visible and on open display. Yeah, that was very interesting that the, the king was anointed, which, I mean, harkens all the way back to the Old Testament when priests, prophets, and kings were anointed with oil. It, it really sets them apart for a sacred duty, which I think we've lost as Americans, seeing kind of that separation of church and state in that, like, the president's just the president. Mm-hmm. You know, he has he has no religious significance at all. And even though we disagree with the Anglican, you know, with the Anglican found foundation that the king is the head of the church, nevertheless, it's kind of a beautiful role. Definitely. He's the moral lead, supposed to be a moral leader of his country. Yeah, and I think just just the fact that, you know, like how we look at sacred things, I guess. Um, I feel like in a lot of Catholic churches today, it's become, you know, post-Vatican II is very casual. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, some churches are still very traditional, but uh, many are, you know, we just approach communion kind of casually. We, we wear casual clothes. Um, there's not really—it's it's almost like people have lost a sense for the sacred— and so there was something about, you know, the little clip that I saw of that happening that, um, you know, I, I think really spoke to my heart in terms of 
you know, whether or not these people actually believe it, um, the, that, you know, like there, there is something to be said about like how we, um, ab- about the sacred yeah. and, and how we approach things of God. And whether or not the people who were performing the rites believed it, it, it communicated something. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't dependent on their faith, mm-hmm. which is, I think that was an, an element of having a liturgy that is not dependent upon the priest's personality or faith, right? It's just when you do the liturgy, it itself speaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, just like at the Catholic Mass, regardless of, you know, like the state, I guess, of the priest, you know, it's it's Christ performing the sacrament. And um, so that's kind of a reminder of whether or not the person, because, you know, you can make judgments about this family in general. Um, but yeah, the fact that, you know, God is still working in that. Yeah. But it's interesting how, how sacred things are mysterious. Have you ever been to an Orthodox church? Yes. So there's a there's kind of like a screen of icons that separates mm-hmm. the sanctuary from the people. And and the consecration happens then behind the screen. They close the doors in, in some Orthodox churches and, and nobody sees it because it's sacred. And and gosh, try that in a, in a Catholic church. <laughs> like, forget that, right? I mean, the whole idea is... You have to be able to see every motion that the priest makes and everything, but but what a beautiful dignity that you're actually like entering into heaven mm-hmm. to really offer the liturgy. And, and that was kind of his next point too, or connected to it. He said the the liturgies were conducted at orientums. That means facing the altar. Um, and he said, you know, which means that everyone, people, clergy, and kings stand before God and face Him together. So God is the focus and not us, as opposed to you know many many Catholic churches nowadays are people um, you know are I mean, the masses are celebrated with the priest standing towards the people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I was just thinking, we, uh, we for Easter in my parish, we have 28 candles in the altar and uh, kind of went crazy with the candles. And, and I love it. And I've gotten complaints from parishioners. She's like, that's too many candles. But I'm like, isn't Jesus worth the pomp and circumstance? Isn't he worth lighting? I mean, yeah, it takes me five, 10 minutes to light the candles before mass. I can't think of anyone else that I would rather make that effort for yep. than the Lord Jesus. So actually kind of, if I can interrupt, kind of this is another question though, I think that, that comes up when you see the pomp and circumstance of that, right? And I've heard many people, um, particularly at some parishes I've been at, say, well, but Jesus was a very simple king. He didn't want all the pomp and circumstance. He didn't want the fancy robes and this and that. You know, he came in on a donkey. So should we as Catholics have fancy churches and, and ornate liturgies, or maybe we should just strip it all down because Christ himself was a very simple king. Well, I think Monsignor Pope's another point that he made was that we should offer God the best that we have. And I think that's what you were trying to say in terms of, you know, uh, lighting as many candles, right? I mean, yes, he came simply, but um, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, talks all the time about offering our first fruits to God. So that means the best, all of ourselves. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know, these beautiful churches certainly direct hearts and minds to God. I think they represent, you know, like for the immigrants who came here and built those churches or, you know, wherever they were, I mean, they didn't have a lot of money and they sacrificed, they, you know, they felt it was a sacrifice worth making in order to, um, to build, you know, this, um, this place for, for worship and for future generations. And so I think that speaks to the depth of faith that they had. And maybe a lot of people today don't. Yeah, and I think, too, there's an element in which we build churches for ourselves and not just for God, mm-hmm. in that, like, it's easier to worship in a place that's beautiful. You want to feel like you're walking into heaven. 
And sometimes you do, and sometimes, you know, right. you and don't. Our hearts are drawn to God in different ways, and for some people it's beauty, of course. And, you know, if you ever go through Europe, right, there's so many beautiful, large cathedrals that are just so awe-inspiring as you walk through them. So I would say, yes, that God and Jesus deserve that, but humans don't. That's yeah. that's my distinction. So it's interesting to hear about this coronation where it's about God, but it's also about instilling the king and just seeing all of the pomp and splendor around him being driven around in that really old gold chariot. <laughs> yeah. And the, the lines of military, which I get that because their military defends their country and, you know, a, a new king is coming in. But that all to me seems like a lot for a human Mm. But I would love to see, you know, a parade with that many people um, for Jesus, which happens in Italy and Spain and South sure. America. Eucharistic at different, processions. Yeah, yeah, Eucharistic processions and major feast days. Yeah, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. We need more of that here. Yeah. But, you know, you, you said that it's it seems a bit much for a person, but I wonder if, you know, being if you're British, you don't see that just as a person, but as a living embodiment of your country. You know, which of course we don't have as Americans. I don't think I don't think yeah. the president is seen as a living embodiment of America. And this understanding that he is chosen by God, which I guess is harder for me to grasp. Yeah, sure. as an American. Yeah, I mean, I think the ceremonies just in general came from i mean back in the day when they really did believe that the king you know had to answer to god and and seek to do like be a servant to the people for god so yeah yeah. and i think all good leaders are humble enough to put themselves before god first right and Mm. um have that time in prayer and seek counsel and recognize the responsibility so that's certainly the hope it just doesn't seem like, as you were saying earlier, Father, like many of our leaders do not seem to be living that way, right? It's very, um, like, egotistical, and I just find, you know, our presidents here, they they lie constantly, right? <laughs> they, they'll make a claim, yeah. they say they're going to do something, yep. they um, misrepresent how things were handled or what went down, like, blatantly, obviously, and yet their lies still work somehow. But I think that's a... Uh an element of being being a governor for the people and by the people because politicians have to constantly be pandering to the the needs of the people they have to constantly be worrying about their public image and if you're a king that's ordained by god that can't be removed you have to you don't have to worry that much about that true you know i don't have to worry about pleasing my subjects when i know that i'm never going to be deposed barring some major bloody revolution correct which sadly has happened you know but and they're already extremely wealthy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas American so Palace, man, they got bank. American politicians, right? Well, they they climb the wealth <laughs> you know? ladder as the years go on that they're in office. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're clearly making deals with corporations and things. Oh, definitely. And getting paid major dollars, right? To become multimillionaires. Wait, are you implying that politicians <laughs> are corrupt? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh yeah. So You know, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, interesting so, though. Yeah, very interesting. And so let me ask then, because we as Americans are so um very egalitarian and everyone's equal, right? But the church itself is set up hierarchically, right? God ordained the Pope, bishops, priests mm-hmm. kind of stand in the in the place of God, very much so in in, 
in a similar way to the king. So do you think that because we're so focused on equality that we as Americans kind of chafe at the idea of a hierarchy and rather would, in some respects, prefer a democratic church? Not that one could ever occur, but... That seems to be the direction of society these days, right? Just kind of vote on vote yeah. on what we believe, vote on... Equity, right? Equity, equity. I mean, That's even the even word. the most recent synod, right, of just ask it was synod on synods of, of how yes, to, you know... Still going on. <laughs> listen to the people. I don't know. I'm still confused about what it is exactly, but... Um, <laughs> You're not the you only know, one. <laughs> it, it, seems, it seemed like some people took it as, uh, you know, uh, okay, well, how, how do we... And not to say that it's not important that people have a voice, but you know what I mean, of the, the balance and where we have to be careful there, because yeah. there is a hierarchy and there is such a thing as objective truth. And that doesn't change. <laughs> well, that's a great point. I didn't consider the fact that all of the listening sessions really were almost like a democratic process and instead of... Yeah. I, and yeah. and I, I do think, yeah, we as moderns don't like the idea of a hierarchy. No. And, you know, uh, people, you know, I think that we have to have some humility when we come to the table, you know, to, to, to say that... Uh, there is a God and I am not him. And, you know, he is ordained uh, ministers for himself. He is, he has commanded me to live in a certain way. And there are things that are just not up for negotiation, whether I like them or not. Um, and I mm. think it's hard for people to grasp that, like, especially in the Catholic church, um, you know, and maybe people who aren't as well formed either just because, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but society has kind of like warped our mindset you know, to think that, okay, you know, everyone has a truth and it's totally okay. Like what you think is, you know, can be true and what you think is true. And and that's not the case. So I think it makes it harder for people to see, you know, a, a, a ceremony like this, right? Um, where there is hierarchy and um, it's not everyone is equal. Everyone has a voice. Everyone, you know, it's... yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very just contrary to to what people are experiencing and what they're being told on a day to day basis. So it's know? almost cafeteria Catholicism. Absolutely, right? yeah. It's like yeah, I'll find what works for me. Mm-hmm. And, work and, and we're fed this constantly at the workplace. I mean, I will say most companies nowadays, you know, it's a very open. <laughs> it's an open work. Inclusive. <laughs> open and inclusive, you know, um, and. Uh, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's just a fine line between like respect for the dignity of each person, right? And, um, and for, for seeing, you know, that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. Well, respect doesn't mean I have to agree with everyone's opinion. Yeah. And opinions are, you know, not based in reality or fact. Yep, exactly. And, um, you know, I think people have become very, um, scared to, to speak the truth. But in reality, I mean, to, to not, um, to, to let people think whatever they want and say whatever they want without sort of, you know, correcting them or, or attempting to, to, to explain the truth is, is really a disservice and is, is not, you know, willing the good of the other. Yeah. Right. Because we should want everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And that's what we, as part of our baptism, you know, like we're called to do and to spread the gospel. Um, and to, you know, kind of just let people do whatever they want is, uh, you know, it's it's really dangerous. Well, that's, you hit on an important point. So having a king, doesn't that mean like restricting our freedom? So, and I'm particularly talking about Christ as our king, right? I think a lot of people chafe at that idea that Christ is actually a king, like that he has real authority over us because we're like, well, that crimps on my American freedom, which is my prized possession. 
think it depends how you define freedom, right? Because Christ came to free us from sin. And when we're sinning, which means we're rejecting what he's asked us to do, we're actually slaves, whether or not we see it or not. So the commandments, many people see them as oppressive or, you know, this prohibitions, but ultimately they're meant to make us, you know, live an authentically human life, which is a free life, Mm -hmm. you know? Jesus, king of heaven and earth, right? We are made for the next life more than this life. True. Right? The next life is for all eternity. This one is temporary. Most people are so focused on this life, earthly things, you know, obviously status, power, wealth, all that. But even um, the opinions of others, right? Do I fit in with this friend group? Am I being accepted? And Jesus doesn't care about any of that. (laughs) He just wants us to follow him. Yeah. And think about the peace that you would have if you honestly surrendered everything to Christ, like right in this moment and said, you know what? I believe that you are a good father, that you can do the impossible, that you know what is best for me, that you know my desires better than I know them, and that you want my salvation and you want me to be with you forever. Like, wouldn't that be the ultimate freedom of saying, ah, I can breathe. Like, God's got this. (laughs) If you really trusted and you really believed, that is freedom. Mm Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you just do whatever you want. That means you follow Christ. You surrender to him. You do whatever he asks you to do. Amen. I just remember um, in another diocese, not ours, thanks be to God, but in another diocese under a certain bishop who is now retired and I think gone home to the Lord, um, the deacons would always, instead of saying, bow your heads and pray for God's blessing, they would always say, prepare to receive God's blessing. And I thought that was, you know, why would you change that line? What's what's the big deal? And um, and I asked a deacon one time, and they said, well, the bishop said that people complained to him, why would I bow my head before God? And what? I was like, what? I mean, if who oh. else are you going to bow your head to? <laughs> like you bowing to God, like, and and then you think about Scripture. It says, like, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend. Right. So if you're not willing to bend your knee to the King of Kings, I mean, that's the ultimate in hubris. The ultimate in pride. I mean, oh yeah, to not accept that authority, which is merciful to those who love him, but to those who not, there's going to be justice. Well, what I think about a lot is that every one of us is going to face Jesus, right, at the end of our life or at the end of time, and uh, so it's it's like terribly sad to hear things like that because you know that that encounter is going to be really difficult. right like oh all the ways i sinned and rejected you and sometimes it's too late right yeah souls do go to hell for rejecting god god always gives us his love and mercy and he's constantly seeking us all the time right but you have this lifetime to turn around right to convert to ask for forgiveness and then it ends and you don't know when it's going to end right so if you're putting off confession or you think oh i'll live till i'm 80 whatever you don't know that right Right. So turn around now, start praying every yeah. day, just a small prayer. Help me grow in my faith, Lord. Help me want to bow down to you. Help me to accept you as my king and care more for you than I do of, of the opinions of others. Yeah. I guess I've, I've often struggled with earthly authority, but I've never struggled with divine authority because to me, it just makes sense that, you know, I am nothing and God is everything. Like, how can I, Most how could I stand up to God that, and, and tell him what I... Most people, I mean, I think it's natural because we're fallen. It's like, I am everything. I'm so great. Look at all my wonderful qualities, right? And God is totally forgotten. Sometimes, yeah. 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 It's the modern hubris of our time. Mm-hmm. So 
let me ask just this one last question because uh, we're running out of time. But we believe that we're, we're baptized. We're baptized priest, prophet, and king. You know, so we have a kingly role no matter who we are. But what in the world does that mean to be a king in the spiritual realm? Well, maybe that means, I mean, I guess it depends on your vocation, right? Um, to to bring, like if you're a mother or a father, to bring Christ to the family, right? Okay. And to, yeah. to have sort of that spiritual authority over your children to make sure that you're teaching them. Um, that's that's the thing, I guess, the first thing that comes to mind for me. Sure. Let's go through all of them. So for priests, I would think make sacrifices for God, offer up what you have for God. Yes. St. Paul makes you, says make yourself, make your body a living sacrifice. Yeah. Okay. And so that would also require living the faith, right? So that you are, you actually are that living sacrifice. Amen. Following the commandments and stuff. Prophet, spreading the word of God, mm-hmm. yeah. evangelizing. Evangelizing. Or taking a, a, a stand. Speaking um, up. Speaking up. Countercultural life. King, I don't know. <laughs> Leader, but yeah, who are you leading? Your family. Well, yeah, your family, if that's your vocation. Yeah, no. your friends, your coworkers. Yeah. I mean, really. Sure. Anyone. And I think one element, too, is is having mastery over one's own body, mm. one, one's own yes. flesh, right? Because we often find that rebellion. When it, within conquer yourself. Conquer yourself, right? Oh, yeah. To, be, to have the mind of Christ and, and conquer your fleshly nature. That's a big one in the spiritual life. Yes. You got to conquer yourself first to be able to give yourself away. Yes, because you have to have self-possession. Mm-hmm. You can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. But we're all called to be kings, so embrace that kingly role. Pray for those in authority and humbly submit to Christ's authority because he is the ultimate king who will judge the living and the dead. But those who have followed him and bent his, our knees to him here and bow, bowed our heads <laughs> to his name we'll find him to be a very merciful judge. And so you can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in next time.